Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All America Welcome to another edition of the All-American Spook Show Podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with Donnie. Yo. And the Professor Smoke. What's up? Will will be joining us at some point, hopefully. He, he's hoping to jump in on the conversation kind of midstream, because he's got some stuff he's got to do. But hopefully, no promises here off the top, but hopefully, Will will appear out of our nightmares or out of our dreams before this episode is over. We're, we're kind of, I guess you can... We can go ahead and say we're officially starting the best time of the year. You know, cue the, it's the most wonderful time. But not the Christmas stuff. This is the Halloween stuff. Yep. And we're, we're going to kick it off, I, I think, with a, a really good one here. Now, this is a wild card pool. You know how we do our rotation of horror movies. But really, we kind of after this one, we kind of throw the rotation out the window for a month or so for the month of October because we got a lot of big stuff lined up, and we'll be talking about that. At the end of the show, she wants to stick around for that. But this this week, we're kicking it off with one of the, I mean, what, top, it's subjective, right? But it's probably a top 20 horror movie of all yeah. time, for sure. Yeah. And A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, the Wes Craven classic. So, uh, needless to say, I think we've all seen this a number of times. Or, Will's oh. probably even seen this a number of times. Do you know that's rare air for him? <laughs> I, I don't know that, but I'm pretty, I feel fairly confident in saying that. Maybe we can ask him a little bit later on before his final thoughts. But, yeah, um, I guess before we get into that, though, we'll go ahead and uh, toss out some of the usual information where you can find us elsewhere, and that is aaspookshow.com. That's the center of the Spook Show universe, as we like to say. And from there, you can check out all of our past archive podcast videos. You can also go to our YouTube from there. And over there, we have lots of other uh, cool series that we do uh, weekly, monthly, over on YouTube, you know, that's exclusive to that. You don't hear them here on the podcast feed, so we encourage you to go check those out, like Grindhouse Gutter, Video Vortex, lots of cool stuff. And also, we encourage you to go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Show, where every month you get a video minisode that uh, features the library of the professor. And uh, everyone's favorite, not our favorite, but everyone's favorite monthly show, Crapster Peace Theater. You know, really, yeah. you know, if you listen to this and you enjoy this podcast, please go become a patron because it, ke- it keeps the, the, the wheels greased, right? But yep. <laughs> if we have to sit through these damn movies that we nominate every month and you guys vote for them and then y'all aren't, that's a cruel joke if you're not contributing to the cause, so to speak. <laughs> if we have to watch and talk about some of these Crapster Peace movies, good Lord. So we encourage you, <laughs> we encourage you to go uh, check those out. You've got until the end of this month, which is actually only 
uh, what this Saturday night at midnight, September 30th. That's when the polls close for the this month's Crafterpiece poll for what we will watch at the end of October. So the nominees are the John Carpenter classic Ghost of Mars, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, Jacko, that old that old chestnut from 1995, and how apropos at least of a title to be nominated for Crafterpiece Theater, The Disappointments Room from 2016. So yeah, I think it's another steaming pile that we have loaded up in the crapper for you guys to go vote on. So we encourage you to go vote as, as, and as often as you like on Twitter, Facebook, all of our socials, and you can get to most of those by going to aaspookshow.com. So with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and toss to the trailer for A Nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. All right, so there's the trailer for that. So really, like I, like I said off the top, I know we've all seen this a number of times, but mm-hmm. uh, Donnie, what, what's your uh, history with it? Man, this this is really what, uh, uh, this is a very influential uh, horror movie for me. Uh, this was the very first horror movie I ever watched. So, and I, I saw it when I was five. Uh, my, my dad should. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, my, my dad should, was it, we were, uh, we were sitting on the couch watching this scare the shit out of me. I bet. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, this whole, you know, uh, holds great value for me. Um, so I, uh, you know, Sentimental, and, sentimental value, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah of course. But, yeah, but for all yeah. the other good reasons. Yeah, I know we're not going to get into ratings yet, but my rating's going to, uh, you know, reflect as such. <laughs> I don't. I don't think uh, anyone would doubt otherwise with a movie like this, and, um, and, and it wouldn't surprise anybody. Um, <laughs> my history is fairly similar, although I wasn't five years old. I mean, Donnie, you and I are only like what a month yeah. or so apart in age. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but I was a little older, but I wasn't, I was less than 10. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I watched this like when I was seven, eight, nine years old. So way younger than I should have been watching it too. But yeah. Yeah. And I remember yeah. it scaring, scaring the shit out of me. The end scaring, scaring the shit out of me when I was a kid. But smoke, what about you? Uh, yeah. I was, I am a little bit older, right? As we said. Yeah. 
I think I, I was 11 when this came out, and I didn't see it in the theater. Of course, my, you know, I wasn't quite that old enough that my parents go, hey, let's go see Nightmare on Elm Street, fam. You know? <laughs> so I didn't get to see it in the theater when it came out, but uh, I saw it, rented it after it came out on video, and I guess probably 85-ish, maybe, or tail end of 84. I forget when. I don't know when it exactly hit home video, but shortly after it hit home video is when I first saw it. And then it became a favorite rental of mine for a while, because oh, yeah. around that time, 85, that's, that's you know, I'd see my fair share of horror movies before that, but that was the year, as we talked about on the podcast when we did Dawn of the Dead, that's when I first saw Dawn of the Dead, and that was sort of a turning point year for me, and the, when I started to pay more attention to directors, the special effects, and crew, and all that stuff, basically getting got immersed in the world of horror in 85, so, and that's when this movie kind of, when I first saw it, so. So it's, it was, it's, uh, it's not a jump to say this is one of your horror foundation movies. Yeah, it was one of the, definitely, definitely. At that time, that's also Evil Dead, which came out in 82, but I didn't see it until probably, I might have seen it once before 85, and then revisited it, and then yeah, around that time too. So a whole bunch of these movies were uh, watershed moments for me, I guess, at that time. This definitely was one of them. Yeah, I mean, for me, between like the Freddy movies and the Jason movies at that age, these were the ones oh, that, yeah. you know, beyond like the 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 uh, the Godzilla, you know, the stu- you know the Frankenstein, the classic stuff that mm. I think everybody kind of started on, you know, right? You always start with like cartoons and then work your way up to, you know, at least back in our yeah. day, right? You kind of work your way up to that, but like, yeah, this was where pedal to the metal. Now you're off to the races of being a horror fan. <laughs> you either jump, you know, jump on or jump off when you, yeah. when you're at a certain age and you see movies like this, right? So I, I think this was. Yeah one of those moments for me too, where it's like, Oh yeah, I love this stuff, you know, and then off to the races. But yeah, yeah. I remember my mom being, uh, you know, extremely pissed at my dad for, <laughs> you know, scaring the shit out of us. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, just, you know, fond memories of, yeah. Well, now you can look back on it and like, yeah, this is a good old yeah. fond memory of dad. And yeah. hang out. but back then, you know, you're terrified and oh, yeah. you don't want to sleep. Man, can, <laughs> then I, can I have some stay awake pills and, and <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, uh, let's go ahead and get into some of the background information just so we can start talking about it. Cause, uh, this is one that I'm sure we're all itching to get into. I only found one alternate title. You know, most of them were just some, you know, different language translation of a nightmare on Elm street. Uh, I thought this one was pretty good in Hong Kong. The literal English translation title was ghost street. <laughs> Which, you know, that would have been kind of cool too, right? Like, when I saw that, I'm like, I'm almost kind of surprised there wasn't a movie somewhere called Ghost Street. That just sounds like something that would have come out in the 80s, right? Yeah. Smoke, is there, or is there a Ghost Street movie out there? And I've just never heard of it. No, no not to my knowledge either. Yeah. So it's almost like... They, you know, with them not going with that title, you would think somebody would have, uh, you know, even knowing the fact that this was called that, that somebody would have made a Ghost Street movie later. Yeah, Plus, yeah. You know, they copyrighted that thing too. <laughs> But it is very specific. I mean, it's the Hong Kong literal English translation. So, you know, like unless you're like us and you look up these kind of things, you probably wouldn't know that that's what it's called, you know, in a different area. But uh, it had a limited release on November 9th of 1984, but it didn't open wide into more theaters until November 16th of 1984. This movie was produced by New Line Cinema, Media Home Entertainment, and Smart Egg Pictures, and it was distributed by New Line Cinema. Uh, Of course... Surprise, surprise. It's rated R. Total runtime of one hour and 31 minutes. So it's chef's kiss. That's my perfect runtime of, <laughs> of a oh, horror yeah, movie right totally. there. One thirty is just for me. That's bam. You know, not much more, not much less. One thirty is the, my wheelhouse. Uh, sweet spot. Yeah. 
Uh, IMDb, it's listed as a horror, of course. Uh, the film was made in Los Angeles in various studios and areas in Los Angeles, California from June 11th to July 13th of 1984. So this is a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, like, to you know, for shooting to end in mid-July, and then the movie comes out by mid-November, same year. I mean, it's a pretty quick turnaround. For a budget, especially with the the special effects and everything, looking back on it, right? I mean, I know there's not a lot of, you know, there's no CGI stuff like that. It's all practical effects. Mm-hmm. But, like, when you look at it, it doesn't look like anything that was rushed. You know, it, it's quality. Uh, for a budget of just $1.1 million, which is pretty crazy considering, once again, the yeah. way it looks, right? It went on to a worldwide gross of $25.6 million. You know, it's not, not the greatest take in the world, but for a, a horror movie... You know, that's not too bad, right? Yeah. Especially one that didn't have the cachet that Freddie had and, you know, as part two, three, four, and whatnot came on mm-hmm. down the line and it got more popular. Will, have you joined the fray? I have joined fray. Yeah, we, well, we, we said at the beginning of the show that you, you might rear your head at some point here, so thanks for joining us. Oh, no, right, we, we already you. checked back out. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before I continue going through the background here, uh, we were just talking about it a second ago. What, what's your... Uh, You've seen this before, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, Absolutely. What's your history with it? Uh, I mean, I, I think I've seen it like a handful of times, like growing up. Uh, <laughs> I used to have like a, a pure terror, like fear of Freddy Krueger. So you it wasn't of, a, of a, Freddy, a constant watch for me. You mean of the monster Freddy himself, just the way he looked? Yes. Or just the fact that like I can't go to sleep tonight because Freddy's going to kill me in my dreams? Like, yes. Or both? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, as a child, I was I was terrified of Freddy. So uh, you know, I would still watch the movies, but <laughs> but it would scare the shit out of you nonetheless. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I think we're all in the same boat, or, or especially uh, you uh, and Donnie and I. Uh, Smoke was a little older, so he's probably more like, yeah, all right, Freddy. Not really, <laughs> not really scared of him. But anyway, but I, I can appreciate the fact that it was different, uh, a different take on the slasher genre. At least, uh, like you could tell that he was gonna. You knew there was going to be sequels, basically, when you saw this, the first movie. Yeah, I, think, would, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I don't remember what the uh, vibe and the reception was when this came out in 1984. I was too young for that. But, like, is that the way it kind of seemed at the time? Like, oh, yeah, this is going to set up the next big franchise kind of thing? Like, for me, like I said, I was probably, I was 12, 12 or 13-ish, right, right that era, whenever I saw it on video for the first time. And, yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw it, I knew that this was going to, yeah, this is... We're gonna see Freddy again. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, he was like right in the you know we'd I'd already been familiar with Jason, of course, in the Friday Thirteenth movies, but just knew that this was something different, and that he would return. For, and just the way they ended it, of course, too. You know, set, yeah, direct, yeah. set it up direct for a sequel. Which is a good time to remind everybody if you've never listened to the Spook Show and you're listening to the first time, which is very possible since we're talking about a Nightmare on Elm Street. If for whatever reason you have not seen this movie, hit pause. Go check it out and come back because we don't want to be the ones to spoil it for you, but we're about to spoil the shit out of us. <laughs> Fair warning. Pause now. Go check it out. Uh, to get back into the a little bit of the background information, I've pulled up the top 10 in the box office from the weekend that it came out, which was November 9th through the 11th, 1984. Now, like I said, this was kind of a limited release. It was only playing 165 theaters that weekend, but still, that's its debut weekend. Number 10. A Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> it made $1.2 million, which is really good considering it was only in 165 yeah. theaters. Which, you know, that, that means there, there had to have been a little bit of hype or at least people kind of itching to go see this kind of thing when it came out. 
Mm-hmm. Number nine, All of Me. Number eight is a movie we've done here on the show. I don't recall the episode number right away. I didn't pull that up. But we talked about this particular weekend when we did that movie, and that is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Because, that's right, Silent Night, Deadly Night beat out A Nightmare on Elm Street for the one week that it that they, they went up against each other. Because if you recall, when Silent Night, Deadly Night came out, it got yanked out of the theaters, right, pretty much immediately after that. So <laughs> there's no telling how yeah. much better it would have done, but... Yeah, that was episode number 85. So there you go. Right, Smoke? I mean, like, because of the backlash from the fact that it was Santa Claus killing everybody and everything, that's what pretty much got them to yank it out of theaters, right? But who's to say that this thing thing might have went on to do better in the long run than Nightmare on Elm Street did at the time, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was was Christmas horror coming out at the right time of year, so yeah, it would have done even more gangbusters at the box office if it would have been allowed to uh, continue. Yeah. Number seven, Teachers. Number six, Amadeus. Number five, A Soldier's Story. Number four, Places in the Heart. Number three, in its opening weekend, No Small Affair. Number two, The Terminator. It was in its third week. And that's right. It was number two because number one, Oh God, You Devil. The George Burns classic. <laughs> so George Burns beat out Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> at least at least one week in 1984, it happened. We have, oh, that's awesome. We, out with a stogie. Yeah, <laughs> we have hard numbers hard numbers to prove that it actually did happen. Yeah, I mean, as far as like the background stuff, I mean, that that's all I got, other than just getting into the the cast side of it, and 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 of course behind the camera. This was written and directed by Wes Craven. I mean, it, we really don't need to go too deep into him because you know there's going to be a spook show spotlight at some point on yeah. on Wes Craven. But he's probably most known for for you know this obviously, but he also brought the Scream franchise because he uh, did the the original Scream, um, and maybe some other ones. I can't remember if he did the the follow ups right offhand, but it, at least the first Scream, right? That was Wes Craven, and uh, the people <laughs> under the stairs, uh, tons of just awesome flicks, you know, before and after uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So uh, a horror icon for sure that we will take a deep dive into one day well, maybe when we get a little bit deeper into the rest of this franchise one day we can do that but we got the rest of them hellraiser movies to watch right donnie oh yeah before very we, excited before we can take another trip down elm street how many how many more do we have five we've watched six we've watched six hellraiser <laughs> movies and there's still five of these motherfuckers i'll tell you what though i think it was um after we did three um we were just like uh Let's go into Evil Dead, and then we just did the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, yeah. That that wasn't even after three, though. I think we've we watched like four and or five, and that's when we kind of like fuck. Let's do something else. <laughs> and then and then we came back and watched the sixth one. But yeah, trust me, with the Spook Show Summer Disaster kind of got in the way. Otherwise, we might be done with it just to kind of get it over with. But now we had to hit the pause button. But trust me, we're gonna have to hit that play button again pretty soon. And Watch yeah. Hellraiser 7, so uh, it's coming. This movie stars Heather Langenkamp, or Langenkamp, however you say. I think it's Langenkamp, right? I think, I've think i heard it various ways. Yes. Really, this is kind of her bread and butter, is you know her, her being this role of Nancy in this one. And uh, she kind of reprised the role somewhat in New Nightmare, right, Smoke? I mean, like, that, that one's really meta, right? So it's hard to say whether it's like she's not, she's kind of playing herself in that one, right? Plus, she came back for the third one, and uh, the third one, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the dream, 
Dream Warriors? Damn, what the fuck? How did I forget the Dream Warriors? Yeah, 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 you're That's right. In 87, yeah, she came back for the, uh, the third yeah. one. I forgot about that one. But yeah, then the metal one, yeah, New Nightmare. And, and A couple people that she uh, beat out on that one there was uh, Demi Moore and Courtney Cox. For this role? Yeah. Wow. Well, Courtney Cox had, she got busy a little while later doing uh, Masters of the Universe, so. There you go. She, she dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gosh, she could have been in Nightmare Elm Street. Good yeah. thing she took that role in uh, Masters of the Universe. Damn. <laughs> Although it was a couple, two or three years later, but still, yeah. Right. By, by the way, uh, we we will, ironically, because we were just talking about it, we will meet up with old uh, Heather Longenkamp again sooner or later, because in 2018, she was in Hellraiser Judgment. <laughs> We're crossing the streams, which you know they say is dangerous. Yeah. Tell them about the Twinkie. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Twinkies, Johnny Depp. This is his very first thing he was ever in, too. Like, yeah. Like TV, yeah. movie, anything. Like, this is his very first acting gig. That's pretty awesome, though. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Now, when we the, talked about uh, uh, the original Friday the 13th, now, I don't recall. Kevin Bacon was in that, obviously, but, like, that wasn't his very first thing, right? Like, I think he had been in a thing or two of that, but yeah, then that was kind something. of the first time he had, you know, had a, I guess an extended role, but it is kind of ironic though, that Kevin Bacon and Johnny Depp got their starts in two of the bigger, uh, horror flicks of the early eighties. Yep. And like, well, well, we'll mention that Demi Moore was up for, well, Langenkamp beat her out or, and whoever else, Courtney Cox, Courtney but uh, Demi Moore's first movie was Parasite, this low budget exploitation horror movie from like 1981 or two. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we could do a whole spotlight episode probably on uh, big name Hollywood actors that got their start. Where they and, uh, started, yeah. I think we actually have talked about doing that before, and we just still haven't got around <laughs> to doing it. We ought to do that one though. Johnny Depp, though. I mean, like, really, I guess the main thing. What would you remember Johnny Depp the most for these days? Would probably be the Pirates of the Caribbean. If you're just saying one thing, you know, that would instantly come to mind, it'd be that. Mm. He also uh, was Willy Wonka and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, some of our fans may remember he was in Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Uh, tons of other things. Once again, that's another name for a spook show spotlight, to be honest with you. Uh, even though he, and, and he hasn't done a lot. Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, even though he hasn't done a lot of horror, he's done a handful. And I think it's enough to warrant a spook show spotlight for sure. You know, between like, uh, like you said, Edward Scissorhands and a couple that I mentioned there. There was that Stephen King adaptation. Was it Secret Window? He was in that. Secret so, Window. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's been some other mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah. And speaking of spotlights, here's another one. Robert England. As Fred Krueger. I think we discussed this on one format or another. Like, there's not many names, you know. I mean, there's tons of horror icons that are still with us and everything, right? But, like, yeah. there's not many quite on the level of, of uh, Robert England as far as, like, this iconic role of Freddy Krueger. Because, like, it's specific to the fact that he was basically, other than that remake, right, where it was Jackie Earl Haley that played Freddy, he was Freddy in every single one, right? How many were there? Seven or eight? I think I don't remember the yep. number right offhand. And then the whole uh, Freddy's Nightmares TV series, where he, at least you know, he wasn't necessarily in every episode, but but he was, he was the wraparound, right? Yeah, intro and all that, and he was in the pilot episode as it was, as it is for those who don't know. Also, you may want to watch that first episode at least of Freddy's Nightmares as a sort of an origin story, a prequel of sorts to uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street. So, the, as far as the franchise is concerned, he played Freddy. Seven more times. And I'll run down the list of the movies. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. That was from 1985, so it was a year after this one. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, came out in 87. 
Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, was in 88. Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, 1989. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, was in 1991. And of course, that wasn't the end of Freddy, just like Jason. Wes Craven's New Nightmare was in 1994. Uh, then it, it did kind of go in hibernation finally after that for a little while, but they, they unearthed them for Freddy vs. Jason in 2003. And that was the, the last time that Robert Englund portrayed the character of Freddy, other than maybe some random cameo in a you know music video or some goofy shit. But as far as in movies are concerned, Freddy vs. Jason was it. And ironically, we're going to be doing Freddy vs. Jason on, get this, Friday the 13th. That's right, in October this year, there is a Friday the 13th. So we decided that we're going to take advantage of this. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna, to, once again, we're, I'm going to say cross the streams. And we're going to do Freddy versus Jason. And it's going to come out on, on, on that day because usually our episodes come out on Mondays at 6 p.m. East. But we're going to kind of have a bonus podcast that week. It's the same week that we're going to be following up Exorcist Believer. That's going to come out that Monday, October 9th. And then Friday, October 13th, we're going to be talking about Freddy versus Jason. So I'm looking forward to that. But just, uh, and we'll tease the rest of what kind of our lineup for the month of October at the end of the show. But yeah, I just wanted to get that out since we were talking about it, that we will be talking about Freddy versus Jason. So we've already done the first Jason movie. We've already done now we're talking about the first Freddy movie. So why not go ahead and combine the two and, and hit Freddy versus Jason before we get back to the rest of the other series somewhere down the line. And I remind you, we have to finish Hellraiser before we can continue doing any of these. Oh. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Shit. There has to be order to the chaos, gentlemen. Mm. Uh, the uh, the only other name, I mean, like, there's there's plenty of other like random character actors and stuff like that, but really, I feel the only other name worth mentioning here is uh, John Saxon, uh, who played. Was it? Yes, Nancy's. Yes, Nancy's yeah, dad. Nancy's yeah, Nancy's yeah, yeah. dad. Nancy's dad. Uh, uh, good Lord, Lieutenant Thompson. Of course, he come. He came back for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Three as well, Dream Warriors. But he was also an Enter the Dragon. That that would probably be one of the ones for sure that uh, a lot of people would remember remember him for. Yep. And Will might remember he was in Argento's. Uh, what was that one? Tenebrae. Oh yeah, Will, you're a a connoisseur. Being a massive art <laughs> connoisseur. Con- connoisseur of Italian <laughs> cinema, I'm sure. Mm, grumble. Yeah. <laughs> grumble, <laughs> rumble, grumble. So yeah, John Saxon, uh, iconic uh, genre actor you know like all kinds of stuff like you know the kung fu movies action flicks horror movies he did a little bit of everything unfortunately he passed a few years back in 2020 but yeah john saxon was a, a classic character well i guess we we should mention that lynn shea although it's a very small role was like the teacher in, in uh, one of nancy's classes uh lynn shea rears her head <laughs> as she has a couple of times and i'm sure that will come back up but yeah that's all I had as far like was there anything background information wise you guys wanted to talk about before we got into it? Oh I didn't look this up, but now that you were talking about it, talking about Lynn Shea, is she related to Robert Shea? I'm not sure. Which is a member of New Line Cinema. Robert Shea, yeah. That's her brother. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. I didn't see it at first, but there sure enough, there it is. Uh and uh her niece niece is uh Katja Shea and Juno Shea. But yeah, Robert Shea, that's her brother. While we're mentioning that, and Robert Shea's fresh on the mind there, he also did the, you know, like I said, he was the owner of New Line Cinema, which, by the way, the Nightmare on Elm Street basically brought New Line Cinema back to life because they were about to go into bankruptcy. 
But uh, he was also the voice of the newscast anchor or whatever in the movie. Well, he's, he's the one that says about the, uh, you know, we're it's 12 mid and we're going, you know, station W, you know, KRGR is going off the air or whatever. That's, the, you know, that guy. So he's a couple of random, like, voices. But. Apparently all the boiler room uh, footage was shot in uh, Lincoln Heights jail in L.A. Mm-hmm. And it was condemned shortly after production due to high levels of asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> So if Freddy weren't haunting, uh, it wasn't bad enough that he's haunting your dreams. You're probably going to slow uh, die a slow, agonizing death from asbestos poisoning. Mr. Projectionist, stop the show. Here's great news you ought to know. We've just got a shipment of taste-thrilled treats, all tip-top quality and delicious eats. There are hot dogs and popcorn and candy galore. There's soft drinks and coffee and a whole lot more. So direct your steps to our refreshment stand to enjoy the finest snacks in all the land. For you listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out the service. So I went over to Audible and I typed in Nightmare on Elm Street and really only other, like just some other podcasts popped up. So I typed in Freddy Krueger and sure enough, we got a few things here. This one is hilarious. It's Batman Nightwalker. <laughs> I don't know why that's the first thing that pops up when you type in Freddy Krueger. Batman Nightwalker, DC Icons Book 2 by Marie Lou. That one's uh, a little over eight and a half hours long. But we do have Hollywood Monsters, Fiendishly Famous by Kenny Abdo. That one's not very long at all, but it's an Audible exclusive. So uh, there's also, I don't know what this is, but it didn't look like there's anything even to click on. So I don't know. But it's just called Freddy Krueger's Pit Crew. <laughs> and it's like this horrible picture of Freddy next to like a like a '57 Chevy or something, and there's blood dripping down. So I don't know what oh, the hell. It's that a is. it's a podcast. Oh well, fuck them. So yeah. if uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, if any of that uh, floats your boat, you can uh, hop on over to audibletrial.com/slash/bookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com/slash/bookshow for your free audio book. So now I'm going to hop on back over to IMDb, and I'm going to click on plot summary to see what uh this is i know this is donnie's favorite part of the festivities every week i'm sure there's going to be some good ones here since it's nightmare on elm street well just not as many as i thought we've got teenager nancy thompson must uncover the dark truth concealed by her parents after she and her friends become targets of the spirit of an evil serial killer with a bladed glove in their dreams in which if they die it kills them in real life uh, there's, there's, there's a couple more, but I'm only going to read one more because it's the longest one. Springwood, <laughs> Springwood County, Ohio. Now, first off, I don't remember them saying exactly where the hell this was. Do you? No. I mean, maybe no. somewhere in there in passing, but maybe it's context clues. I don't know, but Springwood County, Ohio, a deformed dream stalker has been tormenting high school student, Nancy Thompson and the teenagers on Elm street. But everyone knows nightmares are not real. The deep slashes on their bodies, however, say otherwise. And as innocents die left and right, ripped to pieces, the oneric intruder's charred figure haunts Nancy, fancy words, who must remain awake to stay alive. Now bright red blood and a long-forgotten hair-raising connection to the small town blur the line between the victim's dreams and the ghastly murderer's realm. After all, the vengeful shadowy killer has all the time in the world to inflict pain, and sooner or later... The kids will fall asleep. Who can stand in hell's way and the glove? <laughs> that was by Nick Raganis over on IMDb. So, yeah. Smoke, where do we start with this bad boy? Well, I, mean, I guess we could start with uh, 
Well, yeah, his name is, he's uh, burnt up like a weenie, and his name is Fred. No. <laughs> burnt up like a weenie. <laughs> that was some lyrics from uh, the uh, Will Smith song, which uh, I think he got into some trouble with uh, Robert England over or something. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there like a, there was a, a Will Smith, like, Nightmare on Elm Street song that wasn't really a technically, an, right, for, was it for the one of the movies, or he just made it? What what was the full story there? Talking about that song that was just like yeah, the, the, remember the he, he yeah he did a song where he's like the Fresh Prince on Elm Street or whatever the hell it was called. I remember the song yeah, uh, Nightmare on My Street. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it was it, it was like an unauthorized song kind of thing. I believe, yeah, see, I, I should have gone into some more. I, I was just joking around with those lyrics. I should have. <laughs> I didn't think about uh like actually delving into yeah. this. So I have to get back. And I yeah, I don't remember whether that was for a particular movie or not. I just remember that being a thing where like it was a it, it happened and then it just kind of went away. And I don't yeah, remember yeah, it was it, some lawsuit. Movie. Like he wasn't licensed to do a song for a movie or anything. It was he did it on his own. And but yeah, I don't believe he had licensing yeah, rights. And or it was the like music. That. It, it that was the backtrack, right? Yeah. Was the the music yeah. from Elm Street. Yeah. I think it, yeah, that, the looks like a weenie, and his name is Fred. Yeah, he, he wears, wears the same, same hat and sweater every single day. Even if what did you what did y'all want to know from it? Nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Glad I looked up the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about just the fact that it happened. I think it wasn't necessarily legal for it to happen, is what I'm saying. Okay. Interesting conversation. Yeah. Well, I guess I believe it, did the Fat Boys also had something. I can't remember what theirs was, and I don't remember. I believe they might have. They might have. I can't remember if they had rights of permission or not either. I think in a lot of ways <laughs> that should tell you how popular this was. Is that you know like. The contemporaries of the time, like say what you will about the Fat Boys, right? But for a minute, they were a popular thing in the eighties. And uh, Will yeah. Smith, of course. I mean, like, how big is Freddie as far as like in the zeitgeist, so to speak? Like, even to this day. Oh yeah, yeah. And it, I think it's it's mainly because of well, Robert England, the way he's written, he's got the one-liners. You know, there's no other no no other slasher killer of the main ones besides Chucky, who came a little bit later, had one-liners like that. You know. You know the one Man, thing uh, to that to that one thing I was thinking though in this particular movie, yeah, there were a couple, but that must have started like with the second or third one, like in more in earnest because there weren't really, if you think about it, Freddie didn't deliver as many like one line. Hey, there's a couple like I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. You know that you know with the phone, yeah. But there, <laughs> but there weren't as many as there were after yeah. this. Yeah. No. Yeah. They definitely. You know, gave him more screen time because in this one, I believe I was reading, he only had seven minutes of screen time out of the whole running time of this movie. And that's crazy. Period. That's crazy. Yeah. When you think, when you think of this movie, you think of Freddy, but like you said, he's not, he's barely in it, really. No. Yeah. yeah. Now, yep. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's well crafted that way in that the way the storyline works, they're always talking about him. Like he's always on everybody's mind, whether they're talking, the characters are talking about him, even yeah. if you don't see him. Yep. You're hearing about his aftermath or what he did in the past and how the mom, other people in the city or that whatever town had to come together to, you know, to take him out basically or whatever. I mean, the whole movie is based around him. But yeah, you don't even think about the fact that it's, if I hadn't read that, and I mean, I've read it before, but if I didn't sit there and time it or read that, I yeah. would have never, you know, I would have thought he was in the movie more than you that. Wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't believe it unless you're like, wow, yeah, I guess so, you know, but. How about as far as iconic things uh, in particular from this movie? What about the the girls doing the jump rope nursery rhyme? One, two, Freddy's coming for you. I mean, like yeah. that that is just iconic in and of itself, right? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, just about you know, to say that. I mean, that's you know th th that's as much as uh, a a part of the uh, well, a part of 
this movie as well as the franchise as Freddy himself. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. even the illusion, like in some, it has happened in some other movies that don't have anything to do with Freddy, where there's some girls jumping rope over, like you know, say like they're they're wearing the little Sunday school dresses and they're over in the corner jumping rope. You either yeah. think of it yourself or they're directly alluding to Freddy. Mm-hmm. Even in a joking manner, like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, Pennywise <laughs> with the red balloon. You know, like, yeah. there, there are certain well, things you see. Yeah, there are tropes, however you want to phrase it. There are certain things you see, and you're like, oh, shit. You know, they're over there doing the nursery rhyme. It's Freddy somewhere, you know. <laughs> it's Austin with the 316. Oh, <laughs> you, know, you know it before you know it kind of thing. The crazy thing about that rhyme was it was uh, Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend wrote uh, came up with that line. I mean, he wasn't even, I don't, believe, I don't even believe he was involved with the movie. He just had to be Heather Lane Camp's boyfriend. Hmm. And for whatever reason, he came up with, uh, or he's credited with creating the nursery rhyme. Yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an awesome little rhyme, but like, it, it still kind of gives you the creeps. You know, it, 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 it achieves exactly what it's set out to do, and it's such a simple thing. It's almost as simple as like when we, you know, when we talked about The Shining, the two girls standing in the hallway. Hey, Danny, will you play with us or whatever, right? Like, it's such a simple non-violent yeah. thing, but for whatever reason, it just fucking creeps the hell out of you. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, because twins are weird. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that. <laughs> just like gingers have no souls. And we just lost all our G- yeah, half a- <laughs> Turns out we were huge in the, in the ginger community. No. I just, I just fucked it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the music in this movie, Charles Bernstein's music, how much of a part how how big is that to how successful this is, how creepy it is? I mean, like, if you if you put any kind of different music in this, do you think this movie hits quite the same as it does? I, I mean, I, I, it's, you know as soon as you hear it. And it was used, not only in this, but it was used, I remember, like, MTV <laughs> had their, like, you remember when they had the horror awards and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that goes back. But they would, they would use this music and they'd use Hellraiser music. I mean, it had life beyond just a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah. But I think it's perfectly suited to nightmare, dreamland quality of the movie, I guess. Those those melodies. Yeah, I mean, it's not as, as epic and sweeping as, say, a John Williams score of a Star Wars movie or something like that. But it's just as iconic. And it's and it's simplicity. You know, just that, that piano. Dun, 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 dun. It's just, I don't know, man, it works. It's just creepy as hell. And it really adds to, it's such a huge part of this movie and the entire franchise. Even I remember, you know, and once again, we'll be getting to Freddy versus Jason uh, in October. But like, I remember even like when they kind of crossed them, right? Freddy and Jason, and they brought their music cues along with them kind of thing. So it's like even before Freddy, you know, you see Freddy or whatever, like there's the, the girls with the jump rope. There's the music. And you're like, oh, shit, here we go. You know, <laughs> you, you get mentally prepared because here it comes. I, I think it's this movie is just one iconic thing to another. Because uh, when the really other than the very beginning where you see Freddy kind of chasing around a little bit, but you don't really see who it is or what it is, uh, that part where Nancy's in bed and then you see Freddy coming not entirely through the wall, but kind of like morphing oh, out yeah, of the yeah. wall over her in the bed. Yeah, most brooding. And then he just kind of, you know, slowly goes back. And then that's when she wakes up like, huh? You know, but just that. I mean, like, it's awesome. The effect and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Just him. And I think I'd seen something where, like, they, they just basically just uh, had, like, this little screen type of thing, right? They just kind of pushed like him projection. into it. Projection. Mm-hmm. 
they just kind of pushed him into it, and then he pulled back. But it's once again simple, but extremely awesome. effective. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And the thing about it is that it was, you know being practical. Like today, they would do that CG. They would easily just like not even bother yeah. setting up all that stuff. They would just like CG through the wall or whatever, and it would, you know, it would convey what they were wanting, or whatever. But it just looks so much better, I think, in that. And the timing of everything, like whenever, you know, you see him go through the wall and then he comes back just at the right time. She looks up and he, there's, you know, the wall normal again or whatever. You just know, a, and, just a simple effective scene. You also kind of kind of see it a little bit on. Well, you, you mentioned CG, uh, but you, you kind of see a similar effect in the Frighteners. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's much it, you know, it's much more muted and less. uh uh, it's more cartoony, mm-hmm. um, you know. But and, and if I re- memory serves me correctly, I think they kind of played on this in later installments of the Elm Street movies, right? There, there was something where this kind of happens again later on, or something mm-hmm. similar to yeah. it. But yeah, just that yeah, like, with this, with the pressing through something <laughs> like Videodrome, remember? Yeah, the TV <laughs> screen. Yeah, something in the eighties about like oh, let's have this effect of you know going through a wall, through a TV screen, through whatever, and that. Uh, Having it that look. <laughs> what they say in video video room, death to the new flesh, something like that, right? Wasn't that the line? Yeah, long live the long new live flesh. The, yeah, long live the new flesh. Mm-hmm. Speaking of flesh, when Tina gets killed, I put it in my notes, killed invisibly. I mean, like, that's the only way I could kind of phrase it. Where like she, Freddie is killing her in her dreams, but her boyfriend wakes up and sees her just getting flailed all over the room. Yeah, like literally, yeah. just like dragged on the ceiling, the <laughs> walls. Sliced open. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember this scene, seeing this scene as a kid, and this one is one of the ones that scared <laughs> the total shit out of me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you realize, yeah, like, just... when you realize, I think, especially, just remember back to the first time you watched this, when you realize, like, wait a minute, he's not there, he's in her dreams, and whatever happens in her dreams will kill them in real life. You know, that's scary as fuck, right? <laughs> yeah, even if, I mean, as as an adult, I mean, shit, if you think about that, yeah, that'll, that'll yeah. fuck you up. But. <laughs> well, no, nah, I can't go to bed tonight, thanks. You just pointed <laughs> yeah, it out thanks. again. No, I mean, you know, it, like, I mean, like I, like I did mention, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly not as frightening anymore. Well, you've um, seen it a hundred times, yeah, but it's still... Yeah. I think you could still, even now with your jaded eyes of, you know, all these movies that we've watched and everything, you can still see, well, hell, like in 1984 or five, whatever, this would have scared the shit out of you, you know? Yeah. Not much like this before, you know, there's been stuff like this after, but not since, you know, or not before, right, Smoke? Were there quite, you know, things that, especially not to this level where things were messing with you in your dreams and stuff, right? Like this wasn't a thing. Yeah, no. Of course, they had dream, you know, dream sequences and things, but nothing to nothing like this. Yes, of like it was an ingenious, you know, whatever story, you know, Compromise. however he came up with this idea of actually. And I think I read something about it had something to do with uh, some newspaper stories of some East Asians who were escaping Pol Pot's regime, who had had nightmares and died as just supposedly had died as a result of nightmares they had had. Mm. Or something. So you read about that and then uh, kind of you know went from there. What's that, what's that term for, is it called like sleep paralysis or dream paralysis or something where basically like you can't wake up, like even though like you're having a bad dream and yeah. even though you, even in your dream, you're trying to wake yourself up, but you can't. There's a term for that, right? It's almost like, um, it's almost like that, but dial it up 
you know, like Spinal Tap, dial it up to 11, you know, it's, yeah. it really is, right? I mean, like, th- just the premise, that's what it is. It's like, it's that, I can't wake up and, you know, because I want to get out of this. Something's bad is happening, right? I want to get out of this and I can't, and I know I'm asleep, but I can't wake up. And you as a viewer know that something, something really bad is going to happen. Like when Johnny Depp falls asleep, <laughs> you yeah. already know something, you already know it's going to happen. You just don't know when or how or exactly what. That also is sort of the effectiveness of the dream sequences is you, you know, you know, well, you kind of feel like, you know, Heather Langenkamp's probably going to survive, you know, because you, the tropes of these types of movies. There's but always a final girl. The other characters, when they're asleep, you don't know, you, you know that something's going to happen. They're probably going to get killed. You're just waiting for, how's it going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I think that was carried over and, and, you know, played around with well and all the other movies as well. Regardless of the plot lines, some of the later <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street movies, you could always rely on, some cool dream sequence kills or whatever. Yeah, and then, and then they bring the aspect of, I guess, where you're first introduced to the the concept in the movie of, wait a minute, the way we might be able to take out Freddy here is to bring him into the real world, so to speak, is when Nancy goes to sleep and then she burns herself awake on a, like a steam pipe in the dream, and then she wakes up in yeah. the classroom. That's where you know, Lynn Shay's little part as the teacher comes in, but she wakes herself up doing that. And then when she runs out of the school, she looks down on her arm and she sees the, the burn marks. So that's where you kind of get that first little, oh, wait a minute. You know, like not only are the things in their dreams happening, but this might be the way in your mind that like, you know, they might be able to take Freddie out. Right. Like, cause if we can bring him here, we can fuck him up. Yeah. <laughs> Which comes to a fr- fruition at the end in a way. But, uh, once again, another iconic scene right after that, Freddie's glove in the tub. When she's oh, man. she's laying awesome. in the tub and like she's got her legs open, obviously you know she she's covered up by bubbles in the tub. You know you can't see any nudity, but uh, her legs are spread open, and then Freddie's glove just raises out from like right between her legs. <laughs> yeah, they were stunk legs. Yeah, <laughs> was it really? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I yeah, think well, you never know. So, sometimes you know you uh, stunt legs. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> no, really, she didn't want to do it, so. But it's only, I thought it was funny though, that like he, you know, you see his glove coming out of the water between her legs and then it's the mom knocking on the door and his hand goes like, oh, and then goes back down. <laughs> <Yeah. Uh-oh. laughs> but that's an, I mean, like if you made a highlight reel of this movie, right? So far, what would be the highlights would be like at the very beginning when you kind of see the origins of the gloves in a way, right? You see him making the, yeah, yeah. That you see, uh, the girl Tina getting thrashed around the bedroom, and then this scene of the the hand coming out between her legs and the tub. Then that's when you really, I think, but beyond the burning her arm thing, I think when you really realize, like, oh, now we might have found a way to to mess Freddie up, is when she brings his hat out of one of her dreams. Like, you don't even see this part play out, but they wait. They manage to wake her up, her mom, right. And then when she wakes up, well, explain this hat. And like, what? You know, she <laughs> she brought the hat like because she says she grabbed it right before she got woke up. So now you're like, oh, you know, now now they might have a plan, right? Right before she goes into MacGyver mode. They don't <laughs> go deep into his origin here, but they do explain it, right? They, they they don't give all the gritty details, but basically, like he had supposedly, I think in this original flick, he had killed twenty kids. I think it was, and then. He goes on trial and he gets he gets acquitted, right? He he gets off, and then the parents go full on like mob 
mob rule on his ass and they go and find mm. where he's holed up and burn it down and then watch him watch it burn to the ground right so like they they had some vigilante justice on his ass for for what he had done that's really the origin you get there now there are different variations of that later on and then remember in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake they kind of play more into the pedophile what, pedophile yeah the pedophile angle which I think here they never come right out and say that but you kind of put two and two together like well he's he killed twenty kids, so he's probably probably a pedophile or something, you know. But well, I, apparently he was supposed in you know, the original script. He was it was going to play more into that, but there was a recent thing in the news going around at the time that had to do with the uh, child molestation in California around the time of the production of the movie. So they t- they decided to play down that aspect and just have him be a child yeah. killer, other you know, any of the other surrounding pedophile stuff. Which really, which really is the smart move because you don't really need to dwell on it. I'm just saying that, like, I think you kind of put two and two together that's there. You know, it's not like it's necessary to really dwell on like this guy was a grab ass or something like that. But it is, <laughs> it is a part of the story, right? Because it's fairly obvious, probably what was going well, on. One of the parts that stuck out to me in this in this segment is she doesn't have any brothers or sisters, right? I don't, I don't think so. I didn't see him in the movie, so, so why was her mom in on this? You mean why? Why had they killed Freddie? No, why? Why was she even with the group of people that went to go kill Freddie? She didn't have any kids that were they, murdered. She just because remember she's given the origin story, so to speak. So like, I think she just kind of framed it like me and some other some of the other parents were just pissed. So I guess she she just decided to jump in on the lynch mob. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that makes her just about as bad as Freddie, right? Yeah. Well, I guess if you just go out to it. <laughs> Even though I'm not directly affected, fuck this guy. Let's go murder him. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no wonder she's uh, uh, self-medicating and, and getting drunk. And, and oh, yeah. Maybe. yeah. Speaking of which, like, so I wrote my notes directly. <laughs> Have we seen a closet drunk on this level, at least since Mrs. <laughs> Mac and Black Christmas? I think that was the last. <laughs> Remember she kept hiding booze in, like, the toilet and everything in, in Black Christmas? I think. I think. Yeah. That's her role in this, right? Just to be, because every time you turn around, she's not just having a drink; she's sucking on like a damn like forty gallon jug of vodka. <laughs> it's in the towel closet, like. Yeah. <laughs> and then with the ending of this, like after Freddie supposedly dies in it, mm-hmm. like she just all of a sudden decides to give it up. So I wonder if he was in some way, shape, or form, like affecting her. Uh, the, you mean like was Freddie affecting the mom, like making her a drunk yeah. kind of thing? Who knows? And especially with... Yeah, like, almost like a curse. All I can say about the ending, you know, I guess we can go ahead and jump to it now, is explain it. Make, <laughs> make it make sense. Because, like, really, it doesn't. I can make it make sense. Okay, go ahead. It, original ending was, was just going to be a normal, you know, she wakes up, they defeated Freddy, they go on with their lives, happy ending, boom, that's it. Okay. But, ah, sequels. Mm. <laughs> You know, they knew that they would be on to something, so I think the producer had the, you know, hey, let's do this to where the ending happens as it happens, and then Freddy's not necessarily defeated, and he can come back for sequels. That's <laughs> that's how yep. that's the ex- explanation and that, of that. Yeah, and explanation. honestly, you're probably dead dead on correct, and that's as easily easily as you you can explain it. But in the context of this film, <laughs> yeah. explain the ending because so the the whole plan is all right. Listen up. We're going to jump in the, we're going to have a fucking nightmare. All right. I'm going to grab him. And then when I grab him, you're going to wake me up and I'm going to bring him out. And then we're going to fucking just clock him in the head. 
I think she even says, like, Dad, you come and get me in 20 minutes. You can arrest him. What? You're not going to arrest. You're not arresting Freddy. All right, if you just brought this demon out of your dreams, yeah, you're under arrest, buddy. We're going to put you on trial again. For what? I was a creep. Double jeopardy, right? You can't. You know, I don't know. But anyways, that's the plan, right? So, of course, <laughs> that that's just fucked. That gets blown up. Now, explain as part of this ending calamity, explain the mom part of it. Freddie's on fire and is running around the house. Now he's in the real world now, right? I assume. I yeah. assume. Yeah. He's in the real world now. <laughs> His, he just jumps on the mom and just like, he's not, I don't even he's stabbing her or anything. He's just, ah, he's just on top of her on fire. Then they, with the mom, he just van, they vanish. No. Yeah. He just vanishes. Oh, right. She, Freddie yeah, no, uh, what's Nancy throws the blanket. Yeah, on, and then uh, pull it back. Freddie's gone, right? And the mom is just a charred corpse on the bed at this point. Which just I guess, sinks down. Which I guess makes sense. I think sense that's because of all the vodka. All the vodka she drank, she just immolated all she immediately. Just, <laughs> she just got vinegarized like an like an old pickle. But I mean, like she she's an instant burned corpse on the bed, and then just <laughs> just sinks into the bed, like into the depths of hell. Then the bed just, you know, becomes a normal bed again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No, I, I mean that that's, <laughs> I love this movie and I'm not shitting on it, but that didn't make yeah, any goddamn no. sense at all. The, the almost the entire ending. And then you get the, well, everything's all right. You know, like all of a sudden, like mom's still alive, her boyfriend, all the friends. Fr- yeah, all, yeah they're, they're all still alive. And then they get into the car and then the roof is Freddie's sweater. <laughs> <laughs> and then it drives away. Now the, now like, the way I sort of see it is that all of that was still a nightmare, even though they thought you know, yeah. at the end that they were away pull Freddy out and all that, but it ended up turning out that they, they were still in the nightmare. <laughs> so I guess that's the or takeaway is that like, have, so her grabbing, right. her grabbing Freddy and bringing him out. And then the whole thing where she's fighting him, you're in the real world now, you know, and beating him up, catching him on fire. That was all a dream. You think like all of that, I'm thinking that because of the rewrite, the way they had to rewrite based on, you know, well, we don't want to have the sequels out of this somehow or other. And what's the best way we can come up with? In my mind, it's kind of like that's the, because, yeah. you know, Freddie last pulls the bomb through the door. <laughs> so obviously he's live, but I don't think he's in the real world because you got the, the girls jumping rope stuff and all that going on still. So it's almost, it still feels like a nightmare. So that, that my interpretation of it is that they were, at the end of the movie, they were still in a nightmare. That part right there is one of the ones that scared <laughs> the shit out of me, scared the shit out of me when I was a kid too, was... The mom like waving goodbye and then she gets yanked through the little, oh, yeah. you know, a fucking yeah. door window is only about what, eight inches by eight inches. Yeah, <laughs> she, something. And, and and I love pausing that and going frame <laughs> by frame because that, that's one of my favorite things to do in this movie. Because <laughs> that is hilarious. That mannequin getting j- jerked through the door is fucking hilarious. Yeah, that is awesome. That that is one. You know, if you go frame by frame, is one of the whole the funniest things in the movie. Other than. When she answers the phone and I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy, and then <laughs> she looks down at the phone receiver and it's Freddie going. Bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> oh man, dude, I can't tell you how many times I've I've just laughed my ass off of that. Oh man, bleh, that is awesome. Bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that really does. Uh-huh. And one serious question out of the phone scene: if you unplug the phone from the wall, you know, like twirl it up and throw it over there in the corner, and then the fucking thing rings, would you answer it? <laughs> But how many times have we seen that in horror movies? Oh, like yeah, now, was. granted, 
you know. Not as many times as like a random cat jumping out of nowhere and scaring <laughs> the shit out of you, but it's pretty close, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's definitely a trope, but still, would you answer it? Mm. The answer is okay. no. The answer is no, guys. You don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was adorable. Yeah, no, it's not. I meant it. By <laughs> God, I meant it. Well, that's it. I mean, really, you know, other than... Well, yeah, was, you got to talk about Glenn. Glenn is swallowed up by a bed, right? Like, he yeah. it's Johnny Depp's character. He's asleep in the bed, and whatever happened to him in his dream, we'll never know because we didn't see the dream part of it. Just the fact that he just gets... Or, or did we? I don't know. I guess we didn't. No, we didn't. We didn't see him. No, drug. we didn't. We no. just see him just get swallowed up by the bed, and then... Whatever happened to him, he got chewed up by a lawnmower or something. Freddie must have just thrown him in the wood chipper, <laughs> Tucker and Dale versus Evil style, because all we see is blood shooting straight out to the ceiling. He's just it's vi- awesome. He's just too. viscera. <laughs> yeah, what a like what a great death. What yeah. a great on screen death, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well we'll And it was just so that's pretty awesome. And also heard they they you know used five hundred gallons of blood for the whole movie. But 490 of those gallons at least had to be in that one. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> On a fucking fireman's hose underneath the bed. Just <laughs> uh, one one last thing before we wrap it up. Nancy, how she home alones the house for Freddie. <laughs> yeah. This has to be some kind of yeah. inspiration for Home Alone, right? Just this little... Uh, and little it, booby trap. Right beforehand, she's reading a little book on like how to... Basically, it's like how to booby trap your house yeah. or some shit, right? <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. All that's missing is like the, the blowtorch, uh, you know, catch <laughs> uh, door handle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever tried to read a book while you've been awake for seven days? I don't think it goes that well. By the way, I think if you were awake for seven days straight, you'd be even more delirious than she is in this movie, right? Like you'd be, you'd be, oh, you'd, you'd be taking like, like micro naps, like wide awake. Yeah, you'd yeah. be, you'd be batshit insane. Seven straight days of no sleep. <laughs> You'd be eating somebody's face off. You'd be nuts. Maybe that's what this was. It was all a bath salt fever dream from just being <laughs> awake the entire time of night. Well, there she's you really just a meth addict who's been on 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 the ship for like a week long, and then this is her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what she saw after. Yeah. This is her detoxing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for. Uh, old nightmare so uh smoke what, what, what's your final thoughts and what's your star rating on it oh yeah this is obviously a classic and as i mentioned it's one of those just hit at the right time for me when i was really getting deep into horror as far as you know like i said who's Wes craven all right it's nightmare Elm Street. i need to go check out all his other stuff that he had before this and yeah so it was, a, it was a good time for it to hit i think uh i think i'm gonna have to go with a four on this one donnie what do you say Oh yeah, I'm going to be a little higher. Um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, this is what started it all for me, you know, influenced my, my love for horror, my love for movies. Um, you know, my rating is going to reflect as such. Um, you know, it is nostalgic. Um, it's got, you know, certainly got some head scratching moments, but I love it still. I'm never going to get tired of it. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, rate on the high end. I, I'm gonna say five stars. Will, what do you say? Uh, I'm gonna go four and a quarter. I think if if they would have uh, like wrapped the movie up at the end uh, in a way that actually made sense, I think I think I would absolutely give this. You know, like uh, I would I would give it a five. 
but just the fact that it kind of takes away, you know, almost like, uh, what was it, uh, April Fool's Day? Oh, no, it's not that bad. I know what you mean. No, 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 no. no, no. What, what I'm saying, though, is like, in in a similar way as that movie, like, it was, it was, it was great, and then it kind of takes away from itself, you know, in the last, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm giving it high marks. I mean, it, this is a great movie. I mean, up until the ending, I felt like you could put this movie out today, and with the exception of uh hairstyles and, and and fashion yeah uh I, I think i think this movie still hits today uh i'm gonna give it the same rating as you four and a quarter for essentially the same reasons you know like it's that it's that ending where it's like you know i i get what you're saying smoke like yeah i guess you know really the way you look at it it's you know it's in the end it's, it's all a dream you know like none of that shit really happened freddie's freddie's still there still powerful and he's coming back see you see you next year in part two right i get it yeah but, yeah but if you're just looking at this as a singular movie, it does take away from this movie a little bit for me because it's just like, what the fuck is going on? What happens? What happened to mom? What is that? You know, like, and I think it's a little too easy just to brush it under the rug as well. It's all a dream. You know, like, like you said, uh, well, the point you were making with April Fool's Day is and that's the thing that pissed me off about that movie is because the movie is horse shit. The whole movie is horse shit. Spoiler for. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you haven't seen April Fool's Day, but it's horse shit, you know, and that's what pissed me off about it. So, and, and as much as I like what I saw in that movie, the last five minutes was just like a big middle finger, you know, so it ain't quite that though, you know, it, it's not that, but I get, I get the comparison. Um, but yeah, I love this movie for what it is. Uh, iconic. It started one of arguably not the biggest franchise in horror movie history, right? I mean, like you yeah. could—it's right there. Freddy's on the Mount Rushmore. Everything you want to say about Robert England, Wes Craven—it's all here. And you know, what else can you say? I mean, it's it's fucking awesome. So I can't quite go five, but I ain't gonna argue with you if you did. So four and a quarter for me. So that that leaves us all with a consensus of four point three stars. So it instantly becomes one of our higher reviewed movies of the year. And I don't think we were surprised—we were surprised mm. going in that it would be this way. So. But before we check out, we got some we got some things to cover here. Connections and the crates. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's funny. All right, so uh, yeah, on the cast side, uh, Robert England. Probably no surprise here. He dates back to when we covered uh, Never Too Young to Die. Oh. And also um, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, as well as Lynn Shea Mm -hmm. uh, played the teacher. She dates back to when we covered, uh, actually just recently, Snakes on a Plane Mm -hmm. and also Critters. Mm -hmm. Um, On the crew side, uh, makeup effects, uh, remember uh, Mark Shostrom did uh, Evil Dead 2 and Videodrome, and also kind of like an honorable mention here, uh, composer Charles Bernstein uh, actually did your favorite movie, Josh, April Fool's Day. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was, uh, you know, kind of interesting. Will brought it up. I was like, oh. Yeah. Twist, twist of was, irony. Twist the knife. You can see the, uh, not necessarily the Evil Dead. You said it was Evil Dead 2 he was connected to? 
No, no, uh, no he was uh, connected to um, April Fool's Day. No, the visual effects. Oh, uh, makeup, makeup effects, effects. Uh, Evil Dead 2 and yeah. Video Drum. You could see that there in this. You know what I mean? Like, not mm-hmm. necessarily like directly lifting stuff from those movies. What I mean is the pedigree. You know of the of the effects in this movie. You can see that there. So no surprise that that uh, he he is connected, or the film this film is connected to that in some in some way, right? Oh. I'm going to go with a total of four on this one. We've got a Tina who got slashed on the chest uh, and then levitated and uh, dragged up the wall and then dropped. You got a a Rod who got uh, hung while he was in jail. Uh, Glenn turned into a blood geyser. And then uh, uh, Marge uh, got burnt. However you want to go with her, strangled, burnt, <laughs> or pulled through a window. Either way, she was dead. Yes. Well, or everything was a dream and nobody died. No, we're not going down the April Fool's Day path. We're not Wh- what? It. We're not doing it. <laughs> Let's talk about the kill reel. I like kill. Sometimes... My job with the highlight kill is easier than others. This is one of the easier ones. It's Glenn getting. Mm. I, I, I'm going to only suppose he was he was thrown in a wood chipper by Freddie in his dream. I mean, what the hell else could Freddie have possibly done to him <laughs> in the in the dream world? That that I is how made it a person sized blender and left the top off. Yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> and some of the later movies do get a little on that nutty side. So like, that's possible, yeah. but, but, uh, yeah, I, whatever happened to him, it was fucked up. And the end result in the real world was, was pretty fucking epic. You know, as far as, uh, horror movie kills are concerned. So yeah, I think that's the highlight kill. So gore score. Yeah, this one's pretty damn gory. 84 and being a, a you know mainstream movie and being rated R, it put it had to push that R rating as far as it could go. Now what I usually do for the Gore score, you know, it's based off of it's an homage to Chaz Balin who came up with the Gore score back in the 80s. What I usually do is kind of come up with one in my head and then I'll I'll go to I think I've done this on uh, Library of the Professor before, but like one of the, you know deep red horror handbook. Oh never mind, this is not video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I'm holding up the deep red horror handbook for this audio podcast. Uh, yeah. I'll defer to it and then I'll, I'll uh, you know, see what he gave it after I've come up with mine. Now he gave it a ten. That and sometimes I'll keep his rating, and other times I'll kind of alter it based on things. I, I'm going to alter that one a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily a ten nowadays. Uh, I'm kind of basing this off of horror and gore and everything in general from the beginning of you know, the goriest movie that we know of back in the you know whatever sixties. Probably would have been Herschel Gordon Lewis's uh, Blood Feast, maybe is is the first splatter movie. Mm. All the way up to the most recent Terrifier Two or something like that, you yeah. know, along those lines. So, I, you know, Chaz Balin unfortunately passed away a number of years back, so uh, he didn't see this get to see this renaissance of horror and gore movies and all that stuff. So, uh, but now we have the benefit of hindsight, going from Terrifier Two all the way back to you know Blood Feast. So, I'm gonna give it an eight, I believe. I'm gonna back it down, back back down Chaz's ten for me to an eight. Uh, I think it is very, you know, it's got a lot of gore. Hell, it's, like I said, 500 gallons of blood and most of it in that one scene with Johnny Depp. Uh, but Tina's death was brutal as hell. 
uh, you know, you got Freddie cutting his own fingers off, and as well as awesome. other things. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool scene. Like, the, the whole the long arms thing that wasn't gory, but that that stuck with that image stuck with me as a uh, you know when I was eleven or twelve watching this that the you know having having the big long arms reaching the both sides of the alley or whatever, and then right after that, yeah, is when he caught it, whether he slices his fingers off, uh, and some other various scenes that are a little bit you know on the on the brutal side or whatever. So yeah, I think the eight is justified mostly for just Johnny Depp's kill. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, whatever happened to him in Dream World, yikes. The end yeah. result was uh <laughs> yeah. was pretty fucked up. So yeah, that Yeah, like you said, you don't get to see a whole lot of different, you know, ways that he killed him, but later on you you know, for better or worse, <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he killed some in some pretty inventively funny, sometimes messed up ways that uh that you see more of that became part of the in joke, I guess, on, on some of the kills. Yeah, it starts to get you kind know. of Beetlejuice a couple movies down the yeah. road here, you know. <laughs> Violent like Beetle roach motel, like ugh, like human roach in a roach motel gets smashed, and yeah. uh, uh, pizza face, and <laughs> okay. Yep. yep. Well, we'll save all those for when we when we cross those bridges sooner or later. But like I said, I'll remind you again: we need to finish the Hellraiser series. Oh boy! Before we get there, oh joy! Well, anyway, so but we, we've got much bigger and better things planned between now and then. Trust me, including next week. We're going to be going back to the year 1973, and one of one of, uh, if not certainly one of the most, uh, what's the phrase? Uh, uh, not just popular, but just successful horror mm-hmm. movies ever made. And we're going to be talking about The Exorcist from 1973, the original William Friedkin classic. Um, the IMDb one sentence synopsis is: When a young girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her daughter. So yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to checking this one out next week. It'll be awesome. Uh, we're going to continue the the hits a rolling here uh, for the month of October, and I guess we can go ahead and lay out somewhat of our uh, our slate here for the rest of the month, since we teased it off the top. We're going to be doing The Exorcist next week, and then the following week on October 9th, episode 181, we're going to be doing the new one, Exorcist Believer. So that should be interesting, you know, as far as like being able to directly compare it to the original Exorcist. And then seeing this one, hopefully that doesn't ruin the experience for us. You know what I mean? Like, cause sometimes you can be like, God damn, you know, it's nothing, nothing near as good as that was. That thing sucked. You know, sometimes that can kind of run against you when you watch the original and then that, but we'll see. Now this one is supposed to be a direct sequel, right? Smoke, I guess some years later to the original exorcist. So if nothing else, that should, yep. that should make it interesting because they're going to kind of, they're pulling a, a Halloween. Remember the most recent Halloween trilogy that we, we went through. This is the same group of people. It's David Gordon Green, Blumhouse, all that. Like it's the same, basically the same group of people involved in that are doing this, and it's going to be another trilogy. So this should be interesting when we get to see Exorcist Believer when that comes out. It comes out October sixth, but we're going to be talking about it on October 9th, So uh, check it on your calendar. Then on Friday the thirteenth, we're going to be doing Freddy versus Jason. That's going to be a bonus episode just for the extra holiday season there. Then on October sixteenth, we're going to re-air the third annual Spook Show Awards. Uh, if you want, if you don't care to wait until then just to listen to the audio podcast, you can go over to our YouTube channel. It's archived there because we did the whole thing live back in September. So it, uh, you know, mid September. So it's there if you want to go check it out. Otherwise, you can uh, hang out and wait for it to pop up on your podcast feed on October sixteenth. Then on uh, October twenty third, episode one hundred eighty three. Once again, it doesn't get much bigger than this in my mind. 
we're going to be doing the original Halloween from, what was it, 1978? I believe off the top of my head, I don't have the info pulled up. But yeah, that one. The original, yeah. the original uh, uh, debut of Michael Myers. So I'm really looking forward to that one. That's going to be awesome. We've, we've had Nightmare on Elm Street, The Exorcist, and Halloween in our back pocket for five years. And we've been waiting to kind of throw some of this stuff out there. Now it's finally time. So we're going to be getting to that. And, of course, this all leads up to the, the big event. On episode 184, it's our fifth anniversary Spook Show spe- Halloween Spectacular. Uh, come celebrate five years of the Spook Show with us. Come celebrate Halloween with us. Uh, I'm looking forward to that all around. It's going to be awesome. So lots of big stuff planned this month. And you never know, we might have a surprise or two. We've got stuff going on on our YouTube series and everything throughout the month. So stick with us. I promise it's going to be worth the ride this month. Lots of cool stuff. So for Will, Donnie, Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show, and we'll talk to you next week when we talk about The Exorcist. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. <laughs>